all those words, all those verses, all those references share the same root, the idea of fullness, of living full. The message of Colossians, you could summarize the whole book like this, wherever Jesus is truly first, life is truly full. If you look at verse 18, chapter 1, that could be the thesis statement of the whole book. Why did Jesus create all things? Why did he die? Why was he risen from the dead? It's in order that he might have first place in everything. There's an ancient saying, it's printed for you as one of your quotes there in the beginning of the bulletin from a bishop named Irenaeus. And he said this, he said, the glory of God is man fully alive. It's a stunning statement that God's goal, God's purpose is to display his glory in us as we become fully alive in him. But there's a question you might have. There's a question the Colossians have. There's a regular experience for us uh, as Christians, wherever we are in our journey of faith, if we're here and we're exploring Christianity and we have questions about Jesus, we all share the same experience in life. Life, life for us, we could say, I, life is very full for me. I've got all kinds of things going on. If I said, let's take a quick poll, how many of you feel life is full and busy? Many of you would say, life is full, life is busy. I'm doing a lot, I have a lot going on, I could be doing a lot in church, a lot of religious activity, but still, I experience a sense of emptiness. Life can be full, but not fulfilling. Why is that? Why do we all still struggle with emptiness, a sense of incompleteness, like we're missing out on something. And if, if, we're, if we aren't Christians and we're here exploring and asking questions about the Christian faith, we might wonder, what can Jesus do to address that sense of emptiness, that sense of missing out? And if we're here and we're Christians, maybe we've been Christians for many years, we wonder, why do I still have this sense of emptiness? Why do I still struggle with this sense of missing out? Is Jesus really enough? A couple weeks ago, uh, Amelia and I, my wife Amelia and I, we were talking with the school principal, and the school principal reminded me of, of this book that we have in our home. It's a children's book. Uh, the principal said, the way that we think of church culture is through the idea of buckets. If you've ever seen, there's an adult version of the book and a kid's version of the book, how full is your bucket? And in, in this book, there's a little boy, he had a negative interaction with one of his siblings. And his grandpa pulled him aside and he said, I want you to think about people like this. Everybody has an invisible bucket hanging over their head. And when you have a negative interaction, it drips, it spills out. And when you have a positive interaction, it's filled up and you feel more full. So the principles in the book are em empty people, empty people, drain people, drain people, but full people fill people. And actually as we people, we become more full ourselves. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, and I think it's a helpful image for how Colossians says we should see ourselves, and how Colossians says we should look at other people. Like, we do have a bucket over our heads that's more or less full, that we were created by God, we were meant and intended to live full and to fill others. And this text that we just read, that Lisa just read for us, it's like a description of Paul's philosophy of ministry. 
This is the way that he thought people, the way that he thought churches, the way that he thought the world would become more full, that more and more buckets would be filled up with what they're meant to be filled up with, with God's love for us in Jesus. How does that look? Well, we're going to look at three points. How did, how did Paul fill other people? And we're going to look at the implications in our lives. For, what does that mean about how we are to fill other people? And then lastly, we're going to look at how people who are called to fill, how do we get filled ourselves? So first, let's look at Paul. How did Paul fill others? I'm going to break it down into one sentence and then unpack that sentence. Here's the sentence. It's going to be there on, on the screen. Paul filled others as a servant through gospel embodiment and gospel expression. So let's take each part of that sentence. Paul filled others as a servant. For Paul, the Apostle Paul, serving wasn't something he did among the other things that he did in his life. Paul did a lot of things. He planted churches. He preached. He made and built tents. He wrote letters. He didn't think serving was one more thing to add to that list. But serving encompassed all of it. It was a part of who he was. It was his identity. When he became a Christian, his identity changed from Paul to Paul a servant. This is how he saw himself. If you look at verse 123, picking up in that thought there, he says, not shifting from the hope of the gospel of which I, Paul, there he names himself, I, Paul, this is my name, this is who I am, this is my identity, I became a servant. And then again in verse 25, he's talking about the church and he says, I have become a servant of the church. Now, if you're reading in your bulletin, you might be saying, no, it doesn't say that, Pastor Eric. It actually says minister. So here's a moment where we're going to do some editing. We're going to edit the Bible, and you have my permission, because I think there's, there's a better translation of that word minister, and some translations use the word servant in place of minister, because what do you think of when you think of the word Minister. Probably think of a pastor, think of a religious professional, maybe you think of like a prime minister or something like that. But this isn't how Paul thinks of himself. This is not the identity that Paul was wearing. It's not what people would have heard when they heard this word minister or servant. The word there is diakonos, where we get the word deacon. It's not a title of respect or rank or honor. A diakonos in that culture, in that time, was a table servant, somebody who waited on tables, a waiter or a waitress. And it comes from the word, that word actually comes from another word meaning kick up the dust. And so the, the word picture there is that a, a, a servant, a diakonos is somebody who you see kicking up dust because they're always following orders. They're going to get things for different people. They're the ones serving. In Luke 22, at Jesus' final meal, his Passover meal with his disciples, he said, for who is the greater? The one who reclines at a table or the one who serves? The diakonos. Is it not the greater one? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? He said, though, I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus says, this is my identity. This is who I am. I am among you as a table waiter, a servant. And to follow me, he's saying to his disciples, is to have your identity change. And Paul, he got this. He said, Paul, 
I, Paul, a servant, I have a new identity in Jesus. I'm not here to fill myself. I'm not the one reclining at the table. I'm a table waiter. I'm here to fill others. How did he do that? Two ways that he tells us here in this text. The first is through gospel embodiment. What is gospel embodiment? I'm getting that phrase from verse 24. Look at verse 24 with me. Paul says there something interesting, something uh, that's a little bit puzzling. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, or my body, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. This has puzzled scholars of the letter, readers of the letter, because in this letter, the theme of Colossians, as we've said, is that Jesus is enough. He has all the fullness that we need. And Paul now says something's lacking in Christ's afflictions. How can that be? How can something be lacking? What is he saying? Well, first, what he's not saying, he's not saying there's anything lacking in the cross in Jesus' saving work for us. The word for what's lacking, the word affliction, is never used of the cross. It's never used of Jesus' saving work for us. This is a different kind of affliction. This is the kind of affliction that embodies the message of the gospel. This is the kind of affliction that embodies the message of the cross so others can see it. I'm going to read... What one commentator said as I was studying this, this made the most sense to me. This made it all clear. His name's David Garland, and he says, What is lacking here is Christ's bodily presence. Paul's physical suffering as a member of Christ's body represents Christ's continuing suffering for the world through his servants. What is lacking is an idiom for representing Christ bodily. Here's what Paul's saying. He is suffering for them as Christ would if he were bodily present with them. So what's lacking? When people were hearing about Jesus' love and care and suffering for them, the cross, they didn't experience it firsthand in a physical body. They didn't see it. They didn't see Jesus' love and care and affliction in the flesh. Jesus is not here. He's risen and he's ascended in heaven. So Paul says, that is what I want to fill up for people. That's what I want to show them. I want to show them what I'm telling them about Jesus. So, in kindergarten, we have show and tell, and maybe in first and second grade, but why in a kindergarten class do we not just have just tell and not show? If you can imagine a kindergarten class and somebody shows up and it's like, it's just tell time. And the kindergartner says, I want to tell all you guys about my favorite toy. If you press this button, like these lights go off, and it's pretty amazing. It does this. It's the coolest toy ever. Pretty soon, all the kindergartners are going to be saying, we want to see it. Bring it. Bring it. And they'll be like revolting, like, bring that toy. We have to see what you're talking about. Paul said, in order to fill others up as a servant, I have a show-and-tell ministry. This message that I'm sharing is true, that might be compelling to people, but it's also strange and it's radical and it's new. In Jesus, the one God, the Creator God, He took on our humanity, our human flesh and our body. He emptied Himself of all His glory in order to serve us, to suffer, to die, 
so that he might reconcile us and resurrect us. People would naturally respond, Paul, but we want to see it. We don't see Jesus. What does that look like? The Apostle Paul's ministry was so powerful because he said, okay, I'll show you. I'll show you what this looks like. I'll embody it for you to see. I'll be afflicted so you can be comforted. I will toil if it means that you will have rest in Jesus. I will struggle so that you can have peace in Jesus. And yes, I will even die so you can have life in Jesus. That was the power of Paul's ministry. He embodied the gospel. But he also expressed the gospel in words. There are two things here that Paul says he wants to fill up. He says, I want to fill up Jesus' affliction. And then he says in verse 25, I want to make the word of God fully known. Literally, to fulfill the word of God. Paul, in his ministry, said people need to both see and hear the gospel regularly. That's how we are filled through show and tell. Three times here in this text, he calls the gospel a mystery. He says, it's the mystery hidden in verse 26, but now revealed. And then he says in verse 27, there's the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. And then in 2.2, he says, I want everyone to have the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. What's going on with this mystery? The mystery in the New Testament is not like some secret esoteric knowledge that you don't have and you need to get in on this secret knowledge. Mystery in the New Testament is something that can be known only if it's revealed by God. It's not something we can figure out by our common sense. It's not something that comes to us by reason alone. It's not something that's readily observable to us. It's revealed by God in His Word. And Paul says the, the, at the heart of this mystery is this. It's not that you need necessarily extra information. It's not that you need more information. You need to take hold of the fact that what you know about Jesus, as he's speaking to these Christians, is enough. The mystery is you don't need to know something else. You need to go deeper in what you already know and have heard about Jesus. There's no second-level Christianity. There's no advanced secret course for you. When I've told you the gospel, I've told you what you need to know to be full. But Paul assumed that people would leak, that people would drip, that people would drain, and their buckets would become empty. And he approached people thinking, we all need to be constantly refilled, filled up with the Word of God, this mystery, Jesus, who brings coherence and meaning to all of life. So this is how Paul filled others up. As a servant, he embodied the gospel and he expressed the gospel. What does that mean for us? How do we fill others up in our lives? Well, it's similar. I'm going to unpack a similar statement. How do we fill others up? We fill others up as servants through gospel embodiment and gospel expression. As servants. When I'm in a restaurant, um, the thing I think that makes me the most impatient and grumpy and entitled is if I have my drink, whatever it is, 
and I'm eating my meal, and, and I'm drinking my drink, and it gets lower and lower and lower, and pretty soon it's gone. And my waiter or waitress is nowhere to be found. They're not filling up my cup, and I'm like, where are they? Because by the minute, by the second, their tip is being reduced. Because I want to have a full drink. And that's becoming very obnoxious, very demanding. It's saying, I, Eric, the one at the table, being waited upon. This is very different than what Paul said. He said, I, Paul, a servant. Our identity as servants of the gospel and servants of the church means for all those who place their faith in Jesus, we're not the ones at the table. We're not the ones at the table being waited upon, waiting for others to fill us. We're the ones looking around at all the people seated at the table, and we're looking at who needs their cup to be filled. So when we go into our workplace, we're asking who needs to be filled. Come into our homes, we're looking around and wondering who here needs to be filled. In our marriages, we're asking how does my spouse need to be filled? That's the mindset of a servant. If no one sees themselves as a servant, no one's cup gets filled. How do we serve others? Well, I think it's in a similar way as the Apostle Paul modeled, through gospel embodiment and gospel expression. If you look in, in your bulletins, there's a quote that I found um, from Teresa of Avila. I want you to look at this quote, and I want you to ask, is this quote really true? It's Teresa of Avila. She said, it's the first quote there on page one in the bulletin, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks, compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. I think this is what it means when the New Testament says Christ is the head. Colossians 1, verse 16 to 17 and 18. Christ is the head and we are the body. We are the visible and physical yet very imperfect and broken embodiment of the gospel on earth for the world to see. Corporately as the church, that's who we are, and individually as members of the body. If you look at verse 1 in chapter 2, Paul says, I have a great struggle. Let me tell you what my great struggle is, is I can't even be with you. I can't be with you bodily in the flesh. Because when it comes to filling others up, there's nothing that can replace face-to-face -face embodied presence. Being fully present bodily with another person, that fills people up like nothing else can. That's why hospitality, sharing our homes, sharing our space, sharing our time, sharing our lives, that's why hospitality became a core discipline in early Christianity. That's why it was a requirement for leaders in the church. It was the main vehicle for mission because it meant I'm going to spend time face-to-face -face with you. I'm going to invite you into my space. Filling others, it happens best 
as Paul is saying, face to face, when we're bodily present with people. In our time, in our culture, in our setting, this is so hard. This is so countercultural. So much of our time, even when we're with each other, is spent in disembodied connection, right? Everybody's had the experience where you're in a room with your spouse or with your kids and everybody's on their device. You're bodily present, but you're not bodily present with each other. And on top of this, I think in Orange County, we've lived here for 20 months, I think embodiment is uniquely hard here in Orange County. Because a lot of us, a lot of you, you, you work, maybe you work in L.A., you live in Orange County, maybe you take your kids, if you have kids, to activities to Riverside, and we're all over the place. Where are we physically present? Where are we embodied? We were trying to um, plan a staff meeting, all the people on our Trinity Church staff, we were trying to get together bodily and, and have one meeting in the month of April. So we shot out all these different dates to our whole staff And we couldn't find one day in the month of April for us all to meet together. We're meeting in May, so that's the end of the story. But it's an illustration of how hard it is. I don't know if you feel that, if it's so hard to just get together with people, to spend time present with others. But I think it's all the more meaningful in our culture, in our time, in our county, when we prioritize for other people face-to-face presence. It tells other people you're valuable. It tells other people you're important to me. If we prioritize face-to-face presence with people, it will mean we're limited in the amount of people that we can connect with, but we'll be far more effective in filling those people with the things that matter. So Paul, though he emphasized embodiment, though he was saying embodiment face-to-face, that's where it's at. You may be thinking, well, Paul, he actually wasn't embodied with them. He was writing them a letter. So as I've been pushing on our technological age and some of the limits and some of the dangers, let me also say that technology can be redeemed because what Paul was doing here is he was making use of the best technology of his day to make up for the lack of face-to-face connection with them. If I can't be with you bodily. I'm going to write you a letter. And there he says at the end of the text, even though I'm not with you in body, I'm with you in spirit. So how can we redeem technology? Well, we can use texts and emails and all sorts of ways to communicate to the people who are the closest to us. The people God has put into our lives, you matter. I'll text you during the day. I'll email you. I'll find a way using technology to redeem technology in order that we might mutually be filling each other with the things that matter most. Another aspect of this that's challenging for us as we think about application is filling others means embodying suffering and toil and labor and struggle. It's also very countercultural for us and challenging. On the one hand, I think most of you here, as I've gotten to know you, you're very hard workers. You're willing to toil. You're willing to sweat. You're willing to put in hard work. If there's something in it for you, if it's for your advantage, what Paul is calling us here to is an emptying, is a toiling, and is a struggling, 
It's an emptying of ourselves in order to advantage other people. This is challenging. This week, just to share personally, there was a friend of mine who was in a situation where he's homebound, and so he really couldn't do anything. He's recovering from a surgery, and I was like, I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to do this, but I was trying to fit it into my schedule. I was trying to make it into a time where it was convenient for me and fit, and, and it didn't happen this week. And as I was reading this, I was convicted. Because what he needs is just somebody to sit with him, to be with him. So I told him, on Monday morning, I'm coming over to just be with you. We fill others through gospel embodiment. We also fill others through gospel expression. Paul said, what I'm doing in this letter, I'm proclaiming to you, Jesus. I'm teaching. I'm admonishing you. But it's not only pastors, it's not only professional uh, ministers who are called to teach and who are called to admonish. Later on, in 3.16, same letter, the letter to the Colossians, Paul says, you should be teaching and admonishing one another. You should be filling up each other with the Word of God. Because we all leak, we all drip, we all drain, we're called to fill each other by expressing, by reminding, by speaking the gospel into each other's lives. We've been doing a lot of publicity for this book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, that the women are reading, but I want to read a quote from that book. It's also printed for you on page one in your bulletin. Tish Harrison Warren said this about how we fill others with gospel expression. She said, Christian friendships are call and response friendships. We tell each other over and over, back and forth, the truth of who we are and who God is over dinner and on walks, dropping off soup when someone is sick, and in prayer over the phone. We speak the good news to each other, and we become good news to every other. We all need friendships where there is both a showing and a telling of the gospel. A few more thoughts of application on this. Paul is saying these things need to go together hand in hand. You may have heard it said, some, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. There's so much truth in that. When somebody tells you something, this is what you should do. Let me tell you something that you need to learn. It has very little impact. When someone shows you without telling you the truth, it helps, but it's incomplete without the truth. The more that we both embody and express the gospel, the more natural it becomes for us to encourage each other with the Word of God. And sometimes that feels awkward. It feels unnatural. What do I say in this situation? How do I speak truth? How do I point people to the Scriptures, to Jesus? But the more we're with people, the more we put it into practice, we realize we don't have to say anything sophisticated. We don't have to have all the answers. But just a simple word sometimes. We tell somebody who, who knows we care about them, Jesus loves you. Jesus is enough. Trust and cling to him. Sometimes that's all it takes. Because we need both gospel embodiment and gospel expression, this is why we have community groups at Trinity. Because Sundays is not enough. Because we leak and we drip and we need to be filled in one another community. We need to be filled by one another's reminding each other what is true? Who is God? And what is true about him? And who are you? What is true about you? 
in Jesus. We need to help each other apply that truth to our lives. That's why community groups are so important and having that kind of community in our lives. I want to speak before I move to my final point just to our middle and high school students. I just want to let you know that you need friendships like this too. I didn't have anything like this. I grew up in the church. I went to a Christian school, but I didn't have anything like a friend who was with me and who was willing to help me understand how what we believed applied to my life. I didn't have anything like that until I was 18 years old. And when I had friendships like that, when, those, when God brought those friends into my life, it made everything change. Because all of a sudden I had people who cared about me, but we were also trying to figure out what does it mean to live this out together. These were friends who were both my age and friends who were older, so our middle and high school students, I want to encourage you, invest in those friendships. We looked at how Paul filled others, what that might look like for how we can fill others. Lastly, I want to talk about how we get filled. Paul says, people, churches, the world gets filled with the resurrection of life of Jesus as we serve others through gospel embodiment and through gospel expression. He says it's a struggle, there's suffering, it's affliction, there's toil, it's taxing, it's hard, it's emptying to serve. And so here's the question many of you might be struggling with. Here's the question that came up into my heart as I was studying it this week and hearing the call to serve. And it was this, how is this possible? Most of the time, I don't feel full. Maybe I have a little bit in my cup that I can share. Most of the time, at the end of the night, maybe for many of you, you've worked hard during the day, you've made it through. If you have kids, your kids are in bed, and all you have energy for is just to sit on the couch and say, what's on Netflix? You're just empty and drained. I don't feel this powerful energy that Paul is describing. Where is that powerful energy within me? So how can we be asked to fill when we feel so drained and so empty ourselves? Well, I want to look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. As I was looking at this, this is Paul's description. He's showing us the end goal. This is what a full person and what a full community looks like. And so this is the end result. But we can also look at this as things we need when we're empty and how we get filled. What are the things we need when we're empty? How do we get filled? There in verse 2, Paul says, Here's what a full community and person looks like. They have an encouraged heart. So what do we need when we're empty? We need to identify and admit when we're discouraged. We need to identify and admit when we feel drained and empty. Sometimes we know it, but sometimes we're just so busy, we just keep going. We can often tell when we're empty, when we're laboring, and when we're toiling but there's no joy. We're just laboring. We're just toiling. There's no joy. 
That's often a sign we're looking to fill ourselves up with the wrong thing. Paul said, I am able to rejoice in suffering. I'm rejoicing to see when others are filled up. But when we're filling ourselves up, when we're, when we're toiling, when we're looking throughout our day to fill ourselves up with recognition, to fill ourselves up with approval, to fill ourselves up with control or respect, that over time empties us, drains us, and robs us of joy. So the first thing we need is to identify and admit when we're in that place. We're discouraged and I need to be filled. Secondly, Paul says the next result of a full person and a full community is that it's knit together in love. Often when we feel empty, often when we feel drained, we start to loosen our connection to community. We start to loosen and draw back from other people. We say, I'm empty, I'm drained, I need some time by myself, which is probably a good thing, but we start to pull back from community. Paul says you need to be even more tightly knit when you're empty, when you're drained, in order to be filled again. You need to let others fill you with their caring presence and with the truth. And lastly, Paul says, a full life, a full community is a life in a community that's reaching full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of, Christ, of God's mystery, which is Christ. He says it's reaching all, reaching out, reaching and having all of that fullness. So the last question for us, what do we need when we're empty? We need to ask ourselves, what do I reach for when I'm empty? We all reach for something when we're drained. We all reach for something when we feel empty. This week, a big movie came out. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, Avengers Infinity War. I haven't seen it, no spoilers, but... Here's where I want to quote from Captain America. Captain America has something to say here. Actually, it's the actor that plays Captain America. I mean, how much cooler can you be than the actor that is Captain America? Chris, Chris Evans. Here's what he said. He, was in a, he shared this in an interview with the New York Times. He said, I used to have thoughts of wanting to climb to the top of something or wanting to be somebody. But when you get the thing that you think you want... And then you wake up and realize you still have pockets of sadness and that your struggle will reinvent itself and you stop chasing after those things. If Captain America, who is at the top of the ladder, if he's saying, in my acting career, I have pursued it all, trying to be somebody, but there's still pockets of sadness. When we're empty, when we have these pockets of sadness, often, what do we reach for? We reach for trying harder. We reach to trying to perform better. Maybe I'll get success. Maybe I'll get recognition. Maybe I'll be somebody. Sometimes when we're burnt out, we say, I can't do that. I'm just going to reach out for escape. Just give me something that can make this emptiness go away. Just give me some pleasure. I'm just going to reach out either for performance, try harder, or for pleasure, something to fill the emptiness. Paul says here, when we feel these pockets of emptiness, we don't reach for performance, we don't reach for pleasure, we reach for a person, and it's Jesus. 
He says everything boils down to this. Verse 128, I proclaim him. I'm not proclaiming to you something you need to do. I'm not proclaiming to you three steps to get filled. I am proclaiming to you him, a person. He is the servant. He's a suffering servant who has reached for us. He emptied himself of his glory, of his entire life, embodying the life we were made to live, living it on our behalf, expressing to us the full expressions of God's love and grace to us. Not just in what he said, but what he did on our behalf. Being filled only comes through our connection to that person. Paul says, I labor and I strive in order that everyone would be complete, full, complete, and mature in Christ. And later on he says, this Christ is in you, the hope of glory. In this person you have all the riches, the hidden treasures of knowledge and wisdom. You don't need to go outside of him. If I told you that in your backyard, go home, I'm 100% sure that buried deep within your backyard, there is treasure. I know it. I know it for 100%. You'd go home and you would keep digging and digging deeper and you would pull that treasure out. And then if you came back to me and said, I was stupid, I wasted a million dollars, I actually just spent it last week and now I'm broke. I would say, actually, I know for certainty there's treasure underneath that treasure. Keep digging. Go back, dig it up and say, oh my gosh, another million dollars. Paul is saying Jesus is like that. When we are empty, we go to him. He has all the treasure. We dig deeper and deeper into him as he fills us up. Then we have new energy and joy to serve, to fill others up. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you we thank you that you have come to serve us. We thank you that your intentions for us, your plans for us, your purpose for us is that we would be restored to what you created us to be, full of life, full of joy, full of your love. And even able to fill others with your joy, with your love, and with your grace. We long to have that kind of purpose and impact in our lives. We long to be full enough to be able to fill others. And so I pray that this morning in our varying degrees of emptiness, that we wouldn't look outside of you, Jesus, we would look to you. And as we come to this table in just a moment, that you would meet us with all your fullness. As we come hungry, as we come empty, would you satisfy us afresh with your presence and with your grace. We ask it in your powerful name. Amen.